the last question that we want to talk about, which is, um, is Jesus the only way? Um, probably one of the few uppermost questions on people's minds as they talk to us whom they know to be Christians. And they might get to the point of saying, well, I like a lot of the things that you say, a lot of the things that you do, but I can't buy this idea that there's only one way to God, and that's Jesus. What about all of the well-intentioned people? What about the people of different faiths? What about the people that have never heard the story of Jesus? How can you say that there's only one way to God, and that way is Jesus? The next question, perhaps even harder, is would a loving God really send people to hell? So it will come out of today's when we talk about, well, is Jesus the only way? So if people don't go through the way that Jesus is, what happens to them? And uh, our own sensibilities are shaken, I think, to the foundation as we wrestle with these questions. And what I want to do today is um, I'm, I'm going to dump the whole load on the table for you, and then we'll have a Q&A time because... I'm sure I'm going to make you ask questions, mostly because I can't get things straight in my own head. So when I hear myself say them, it's, I say it and then I think, oh, I have a question about that. What did you just say? And what did you mean? So hopefully it won't be that obtuse. But I, I do know that the ideas today are, are challenging ones for us to think about, starting with the first one from N.T. Wright, which was the one about do we pay enough attention to the life after the life after death, or are we fixating on life after death? So let me take you to that. Um, I'm going to talk about three things today, two, one, and three. We're going to talk about two futures. We're going to talk about one way, and we're going to talk about three groups of people. Um, so at least that is organized. There are going to be three things. Several things, three, twos, or ones, whatever it goes. The two futures that I want to talk about, first of all, are jumping right in to this whole thing about the life after death and the life after the life after death. The question about Jesus being the only way um, is picked away at by the resolution to this question. Um, do we think enough about the life after the life after death, or are we just thinking all the time about the life after death? So first of all, you're going to have to figure out what I mean by that. And what I mean by that is that we as followers of Christ in, in the church for the last generation or two have generally pictured the future like this, that as far as the earth is concerned, um, the only thing in its future is judgment, right? So We've, we've grown up in a pessimistic generation where we have said the earth is just getting worse and worse. And the people of the earth, people of the world are getting worse and worse. And it feels to us that the end of all of that is simply judgment, right? So there'll be, there'll be Christians who say, why do you care at all about the environment? Why do you care about ecology? Why do you care about those things? Because the destination of this earth is judgment. That's what we were told as children. And the only thing that comforts us is that we have a hope that we're not going to have to be here. And certainly my parents' generation believed this to, to, the, to the end, right? They believed 
that the understanding of Christians is that the world is condemned and the earth is part of that condemnation. The earth is going to be judged, but we're going to escape. We'll be taken away before all of that stuff happens. And so we had conferences and we talked about the rapture of the church. Probably even haven't heard that word for a while. But the idea of the rapture of the church is that things get so bad that the only hope we have is that we're not going to be here. So judgment will come, but we will escape. Uh, we have this escape hatch called the rapture, and we go to heaven, and so we're safe from the judgment that is coming upon the world. That is a typical evangelical theology of the future. But it has been changing, and it has been changing um, in favor of a second view of the future. So here's the second of the two, right? So if you're trying to track at all with me. Um, the first of the two was that linearly we are headed towards judgment, but we're going to escape. We're going to go to heaven. So what that has made us ask about is, is Jesus the only way to heaven? So when that's the only framework or the only context in which we're asking that question, uh, it becomes one kind of a question. But when we frame that question in the context of a different view of the future, um, the question becomes quite a different issue. I, I would suggest it is less a pressing question than, than we might have thought that it was. So here's the second view of the future, that we begin with this present age. And so I'm going to use some terms that are biblical terms. They are the terms that Jesus himself used about the world, his presence in the world, and the future of the world. So he would talk about this present age, the present age, the time in which we are living. And he would also talk about the kingdoms of this world. So here, here is what we have before us, not thinking quite yet about the future or the other, but we're saying, okay, Jesus was in, in the practice of talking, teaching about this present age and how it was different from something else and the kingdoms of this world um, that were different from something else. So the things that they were different from are the kingdom of heaven. So there was a juxtaposition in Jesus' teaching between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven and between this present age and the age to come. So much of Jesus' teaching had to do with the kingdom and the way it was characterized was either between the present age and the age to come or the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven. So pretty soon the Messiah will be playing all over southern Ontario, right? And one of the most glorious parts of the Messiah is what? The kingdoms of this world have become what the kingdom of our god and and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever that's straight from scripture that's from daniel and that's not the only place we find that so there is the language of the bible about the future our idea of the future was that stuff really isn't what's pressing for us. We just want to know when we get to leave. 
But when we get to leave, doesn't seem to resonate with Jesus talking a lot about um, something other than this that's not just us leaving, and something after this that's not just about judgment. And if that is the case, then we need to think differently entirely about our presence in the world, our future in the world, and the whole matter of how Jesus is the way that we need to be focusing on. The kingdoms of this world shall become and have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. So here are a few scripture references that might bring this into focus for us. So in Revelation, we hear this, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Right? That's what the Bible says about the future. So far, I'm not bringing a lot of things to the table that say, don't worry about it. You don't need to have any part of that because you're going to go to heaven. You'll be gone. The future that the Bible anticipates is a future in which the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of God. Another couple of these from Daniel, actually. In Daniel, we come across this one. He was given dominion, glory, and kingship so that every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So I need to ask myself, where's heaven in that? So, so maybe now it's beginning to dawn on us. Why should we be fixating more on the life after the life after death than just the life after death? If, if for us it's just a matter of living our lives and then going to heaven, and that's the life after death, and from then on we just sort of live blissfully forever and ever and ever in heaven. That's one view of the future, but the Bible's view of the future seems to be something different than just away from here at a place different from here. One more from Daniel, who says this to us. The sovereignty, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. What's the variable that is brought into this that we've not seen so far? The kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord. Um, and he will be given dominion and all the rest of that forever and ever and ever. Here we have this introduced idea that says, the saints of the Most High, what? The, king, the sovereignty, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people. To what people? The saints of the Most High. So the future for the saints of the Most High is the future that is already articulated as being the reign of Jesus, his kingdom. And we're told in the New Testament that, that God gives sovereign authority to his son and then his son sort of defers to the Father and everything is all in all again. But... The future that the Bible anticipates for Jesus and for God is an everlasting dominion 
um, that's not away from this earth, but it's it's it encompasses this earth because it's both on a timeline, the present age and the age that is to come, and in spatial terms, if you want the the comparison between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our God. Now Daniel says the way that that's going to be administrated is through the people of God. So where are you going to be in God's eternal future, according to this stuff? Where? With God. Where? Uh, Yeah, like here. I didn't ever know that for a long, long time. Honestly, I didn't know. My whole formation was a different one than that, that basically said, yes, when we run the time of our life out, we have to hope that we're saved because we want to get to heaven because that's the only option. Um, Well, that's the only choice. Either I follow Jesus and he gets me to heaven or, hmm. But the Bible seems to talk about something way, way, way more than that. So in N.T. Wright's parlance, he would say, Christians spent all of their time talking about the life after death, which is go to heaven. It is replete. It is in our songs, in our stories, in our talk, in our prayers. Um, We just want to go to heaven, don't we? We want to go home to be with Jesus And only in those disquieted moments do we say, I'm not so sure I want to be in some place, you know, where I'm floating around um, glorifying God and singing songs and reading scripture all the time. Can, Can we not have anything more sort of practical to do than that? Well, what about being the government of a new world of of an of an a new expression a, a new kingdom um, that has been rid of everything wrong with it. So what's wrong with this present age and with the kingdoms of this world is that we're, it's corrupt. We've talked about that now for months. It is so corrupt that it can't be fixed. It is so corrupt that Jesus came, and yes, he would be the only way the corruption could be dealt with because he would come into the the death from the corruption and would deal with death and thus corruption. So when we claim that Jesus is the only way, it's better not to talk about Jesus being the only way to get to God. Better to talk about Jesus being the only way that the corruption could ever be dealt with. Not our best attempts, not our best religious ideas, not other religious faiths, many of which have great and, and notable aspects, but they simply can't cut it because the problem is that the creation and all of us who are in it is corrupt, and we are corrupt, and we are dying. Creation is dying, and we're dying with it, unless something happens from beyond it. And so we would say what happened from beyond that is that Jesus came into the midst of it. And, and we dare to say, yes, that there was, there's only one way that there can be the restoration of creation,
Um, all other attempts are noteworthy, but, but none of them can stand up to what happened powerfully by the creator of the universe's son coming into the middle of his creation and dying in it to deal a death blow to the death and corruption that we brought upon ourselves. So last week we talked about we've pulled the roof down on our heads and the debris is hitting us indiscriminately. The, o the only way that can be fixed is by the creator himself coming into the middle of it all and saying, I have brought about futility because of corruption. I will also bring about restoration um, because of dying within my creation. So when we say, yes, there's only one way, it's not because we're trying to shame other religions or people's best efforts or people's best ideas. We're just saying we're, we're trying to get a grasp on how high and lofty it is that there could be something ever done about the dying creation. That it was enormous what Jesus did. It was profound what happened at the cross. And all of the things that came in its, um, its effect are, are tremendous, including the fact that only because of that there can be a new creation, a new kingdom, which is God's kingdom reigning even in the midst of old creation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And there it is. There's, you know, right in front of you, Jesus says, I'm the way. There's no, you can't get there any other way. At some points when I struggle with things like this, I, I, I may have to just say, you know what? I don't like it, but apparently it's true. You know? Like, I don't like it, some of the things we talked about last week, about why God doesn't fix things quicker. I don't like that, but it appears to be true. And if Jesus made this statement, it must be true. At least he believed it was true. He believed there is no other way. And if we follow him, we are people who are also agreeing that there's no other way. Now, it's a different thing than saying there's no other way to heaven. He, he is the only way to heaven, but that, that's not the power of what he's saying. He's telling a story about um, a king's son who is going to get the kingdom. Uh, the way Jesus tells it, we end up thinking the end of the story is being in heaven. But the end of the story is the king coming back. So Jesus said, don't be so upset. Um, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If, if it weren't so, I would have told you that. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself so that you can be where I am. And um, you know where I'm going. You know how to get there. Thomas said, excuse me, it's me again. We've no clue where you're going. How do we get there? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we stop the story a little bit short when we say this is about a Jewish wedding, and the bridegroom has paid the bride price, 
So rather than take his bride, he goes home to his father's house and he builds a dwelling place there for his bride. Um, and then he will come back and collect his bride and bring his bride back to his father's house. And then we usually end the story by saying, and so they live happily ever after. Except that's not the only story Jesus told. He told way more stories about a king who came back and wanted to know what things were like now that he has come back. I think if we were to flesh out the rest of the story, um, the king's son would come back with his bride and would establish his kingdom. He, he wouldn't stay away in the father's house. So the first view of the future stays away in the father's house and doesn't really care about anybody else. The second view of the story says, yeah, but the king is coming back with his bride. And that seems to be true to what Daniel said, that this kingdom that is going to be an everlasting one um, is one that is reigned over by the people of God. So what our job is about in the future is not you know, being secluded away in heaven and you know, finding everybody and saying, oh, Bob, I'm glad you're here. Wasn't sure sometimes, but you're here. We're good. Um, it's not about that. It's saying, okay, um, if we've gone to heaven, it's only to get ready to come back. And sometime we'll go through the whole you know, set of diagrams of what the things are that are still to happen in the future. Um, because we need to figure it out. And the Bible is, is pretty clear, but also pretty complicated on the, t the time. Um, you know, Jacob's trouble, 1260 days, you know, time, time, half a time. And all these things, you start doing the math. Mathematicians love it because it all works. The numbers work. The rest of us go, oh my goodness, this is boring and tedious, but it all fits together. There's a period that adds up to seven years that's got something to do with the future. There is a time period called the millennium that's either literal or not literal, but it's about God establishing his reign through Jesus and with his people, and that's still either something in the future or we're living in it Probably not, but some theologians think we are. Um, so when we piece all of these things together, um, we're going to need some time to talk about three peoples who are part of this whole story. And the three peoples are the world and Israel and the church. So far from the first version of the future, when all we need to worry about is, have we done what we need to do to get to heaven? Because that'll be great. No, it's far more complex and far more beautiful than that. It's about the life after life after death. When we come back into this creation with Jesus the King and we reign with him and there is an idyllic um, paradise-like universe of which we are part, in which we will live and work and be community together. And it's, by the way, who? It's three groups of people the world oh don't the rest of the world just go to hell hmm. we'll work on that and you're going i should have, should have come next sunday instead of the sunday i want to know the answer to that one. it's israel isn't god done no because again the numbers don't all add up 
um, when we go through and see what God said his story with Israel was and is and is going to be. So there's more stuff that has Israel involved in it. And the church, or whatever you call the people that are the people of God, um, are big-time players in the future. So is it so offensive to say Jesus is the only way to God? No, because he's the only way to God that could be made. And everyone has an opportunity to benefit from, to participate in what the glorious future is because of what Jesus did. So it's not that we shut people out, but God almost selectively is working with a sample of people towards grace for all people. So Israel was the first people. It was an ethnic group of people, a nation people. And God said, we'll start with you, and after you, we'll, we'll bless the whole world. And then the church came into being, and the intention of the church was that it would be universal. It would be for all people, from people from every tribe and nation and language and people, um, and we would be all together part of this great group of people. And there's also that nation that we finally go back to and say, there's some more stuff that is going to take place that has to do with you. If you're watching world news, watch what's happening in Israel. Get the Jerusalem Post. Listen to whatever Netanyahu is saying today, crazy as whatever it sounds like. Because it's not the end of the story yet as far as uh, the Israel and the church is concerned. Is Jesus the only way? Yes, he is but hopefully understood differently than in an exclusive way where we say nobody else matters or counts or is included. Um, what is the future? It's not just getting to heaven. It's coming back. And it's being here. I've already claimed Northern Ireland. <laughs> I may not have the top job, but I don't know what it'll be. <laughs>